Welcome back to Praise Gathering, everybody. Do you all have your handouts today? Great. We're going to need these handouts as we go through our study. We have a beautiful study prepared for us today. I want to thank God for his faithfulness. The more and more that we prepare these studies each week, um, I just love how God continues to pour out his truth in fresh ways. Have you ever read the Bible and you didn't understand what you were reading? Yeah? Or is that just me? Yeah, yeah, there are some times I read a bu the Bible and I go over a passage and I don't quite understand it. Um, but when you read the same passage over and over, it's one thing to just read it because you say, I'm going to read the Bible this year and I'm going to make sure I, I do my reading assignment. But if you're reading the Bible for more than just getting through the Bible, if you're reading the Bible to know who God is, friends, if you're seeking God, you could seek him through his word. And when you seek him through his word, you're reading those, those words, and it comes to life because you know who's the one that wrote it. God wrote that letter for us, okay, that we can know him. Have you ever gotten a letter from someone overseas? Or maybe an email these days, right? It's easier. And when you read that letter, you imagine the person that sent it to you. And you could hear their voice in what they're writing, and it's something that you could cherish and something you could hang on to. See, the more and more that we hear God's voice, or the more and more we spend time reading God's word, the more and more we can know his voice. And we could tell whether it's him that's speaking to us and impressing his truth to us, or if it's something else that's vying for our attention, you know, to pull us away from God. Who here wants to know God more? Show of hands. Awesome. Awesome. Life is about knowing God. Yeah, because God is the one that created us, okay? He is our creator, so we go back to our creator to know what is this life all about? What is this life for? How many of you here value your life? Sure, sure. Of course, those in life insurance uh, <laughs> would definitely have their hands up. Um, what other things do you value? What is it about your life that makes it so valuable to you? Hmm. Sometimes we say we value our life, but the way that we're living doesn't show it, right? Sometimes we risk our life by doing many stupid things, many silly things, um, unhealthy things. We could be risking our life, right? Like um, not exercising, right? Like eating the wrong stuff, like not sleeping and watching Netflix instead. You know, there's so many different, th different things that we do to to risk our life, okay, and we don't realize that we're doing it. Or walking around with a cell phone right to your head, and it's like cancer-causing, yeah? <laughs> like, we're, we're risking our life. So much of the time we don't realize it. Did you feel like you were risking your life this morning when you walked outside in this negative degree weather? <laughs> it's really cold today, and it's going to get even colder, you know, but there's a risk there too. What is it that helps you take a risk? Our study today is called Wisdom Risk. Wisdom Risk. And the first section is called Don't Do Dumb. Just turn to your neighbor right now and tell them, Don't Do Dumb. Again, turn to the neighbor on the other side and say, Don't Do Dumb. 
How many of you do dumb, like, in a day? I do dumb. I, I do. Like, I could stay there on my phone sometimes, scrolling like this with my thumb, looking at other people's pages on Facebook. I'm just scrolling and scrolling, and you know what? What does this look like to you? You're all here, and if I was just here holding my phone, and I'm just like, <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> wow. <laughs> hey, like, like. That's doing dumb. We're being passive about things and we're just consuming whatever comes our way. That's doing dumb, okay? Don't just take life as it comes to you and, and consume life as it comes to you, all right? Because that's what we look like. We look like a, a dumb person on the phone, scrolling, scrolling, not knowing that there are other people right beside you wanting to connect with you. You know, they, they just want to smile. They just want a handshake. But you don't even know they're there because you're just on your phone. Especially the young ones today, hey. hey. Young ones, yes. Put the phone down. Not only, the, not only the young ones, yes, and older ones now too. Don't do dumb. It's foolishness to just let life pass us by and we miss out on everything that's happening around us. Okay, you are missing so many opportunities. Let's look at the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom, right? The book of Proverbs, one of my favorites. And we're just going to be looking at a few verses here. Uh, Proverbs 3, verse 7. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. How many of you think you're pretty wise? Okay, good. <laughs> um, how many of you like to be corrected? Do you like being corrected? How many of you hate being corrected? How many of you just hate being corrected like all the time? Yeah? I know if you have parents and your parents are always telling you what to do, you're like, get off my back already, I hate this, right? Let's look at what Proverbs 12.1 says. Whoever loves discipline, discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. So again, who hates correction? Sometimes, yeah, <laughs> you know. I don't like being corrected sometimes, but it says that it, um, he who hates correction is stupid, and that term stupid, it's, um, it's like a brute cattle. It's like, um, what's brute cattle? It's like a, a stupid animal, okay? Not having higher reasoning, um, and you're just acting like an animal. Do you remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Remember, and when he was, he thought he was so wise and on his own, and he thought he knew what he was doing, and he, he said there is no God, right? And then God allows him to become like a beast in the field, right? Th that term brute comes from the Latin word brutus, and brutus is like stupid, like an animal, okay? So when we don't accept correction and we choose to just do things our own way, then we're behaving like an animal without higher reasoning, Okay? Let's continue and see what does 12.15 say. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. How many of you listen to advice? Someone gives you advice. Someone that you hate comes up to you and they give you advice. Are you listening to them? Probably not. All right. Listening to them, you, do you even hear what they have to say? No, you're like, how dare you try and come and give me advice? 
right? Like we all do it. We all do it. We don't want to hear from the person we don't like, right? But the way of fools seems right to them. But the wise listen to advice. If somebody else that you don't like or somebody that you just, you don't trust, they come to you and they're offering you advice because they know that you're off to do something that maybe you've never done before. A new venture, perhaps. Maybe you're starting up a new program. Maybe you're gonna be going through something that they've gone through already. Wouldn't it be wise to at least hear what they have to say? Don't be so proud to accept advice no matter where it comes from. I mean, at least hear it and pray about it. Hearing it doesn't mean that you have to go and follow them, but don't be so foolish as to think that you know it all. Okay, we all can learn something from each other, okay? Let's look at 28 verse 26. Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. All right. So do any of these proverbs, do any of them speak to you? Like, did any of them hit you a certain way? Maybe it just reminds you that we, we shouldn't be so proud because the prideful are fools. Did you know? That's why God wants us to humble ourselves. It's only when we humble ourselves that we're ready to hear the advice, when we're ready to trust that there's something more that we don't know, you know, that we still have much to learn. Do you relate more with the foolish or with the wise, as described in these passages? And what does it mean to walk wisely? Would you rather be wise or foolish? Consider the way that you live. What does that reveal about how you are? The way that you live today, does it reveal that you're more like a fool or that you're more like the wise? Stop and think about it. In all the relationships around you, do you think your way is best and nobody's going to tell you different? You know? We're all stubborn and bullheaded like that at some point in our life. But hopefully you find the humility that's needed to grow from that place, okay? We don't want to remain fools forever, right? Let's look at Mark chapter 8, verse 36 to 37. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So life could be seen as a big gamble. Anybody like gambling? Maybe not with your money. But I know that at some level we all gamble. We all give a little bit and hope that we get something more back. You know? Like you don't go for school. You don't go to school thinking, okay, I just want to go to school. You hope that you get something out of it that you could utilize and make something better out of your future, right? So life is a bit of a gamble. You never know what you're going to get. But we have this understanding. You got to give a little before you can get more, right? We take risks in hope of desired results. You take a big risk when you choose to follow Jesus. Did you know that? You take a big risk when you choose to follow Jesus because it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you your life. Now, earlier I asked, how many of you value your life? Like now, I could say I value my life now because I found life in Jesus. Before I found Jesus, did I really value my life? You know, I took a lot of risks in my life. 
going to the wrong places, doing the wrong things, and playing with things that I ought not to play with. And people looked at me and they're like, wow, you know what? The psychiatrists told me that I was suicidal. And I said, no, I'm not suicidal. I love life too much to be suicidal because I was having fun and taking big risks and doing things that I thought were making me feel alive. But I was risking my life in the process. I was doing things that would cause me to one day, you know what, you might die if you overdose. You might get those sexually transmitted diseases. You might lose those that are close to you. Your family might disown you. The church, they'll cut you out of their fellowship if you continue living that way. You know, and I was risking so much. I risked my reputation. I risked everything because I didn't value my life. So it wasn't such a big risk after all, was it? There are a lot of people that do these extreme sports, you know, and they want to feel this rush. They want to feel alive. So they do things like risking their life, you know, biking at the side of the mountain, jumping out of planes, going deep sea diving without any gear. Like, you know, they just want to come close to that experience. I almost lost my life, but I made it because of the desired result in that. They want to feel alive, but it's only a risk when you really value something. What do you value? What do you desire? Is it worth the risk? I valued my friendship with Beverly, who's now my wife. I valued my friendship with her because she was one of my youngest friends from a young age. She was one of my first friends. And we remained good friends through all those years of school and, and through all of you college and university, and after that into our professional life. And we were such good friends. We never liked each other. And I, I told everybody that I met, yeah, you know, Beverly, she's one of my best friends. They're like, really? I don't see you guys talking. They're like, you know what? It doesn't matter what you see. It's what I know. I value her deeply, and she values me. You know, this is a friendship that not a lot of people understood. But it's a friendship I cared so much about that when I started to develop feelings for her, I took a big risk. I had to let her know how I felt about her. I couldn't be lying to her. You're my friend, but I have feelings for you. I, I had to let her know. Otherwise, she's being a friend with me without knowing how I really feel about her. But when I told her how I felt about her, I was like freaking out inside because I was like, I was taking a big risk. I'm risking losing my best friend from like childhood. What a big risk is that? Why? Because I knew what I desired. I desired a future with her as my wife right? I also knew that I valued her as my friend. And now I'm enjoying a marriage with my best friend, who's also my wife. You see, because I took a risk, but I knew that my friendship with her was stronger. I knew my friendship with her was strong enough that if I told her, she would still be my friend afterwards. I could trust that. So it was worth it for me to take that risk of putting our friendship on the line because I trusted something beyond that freakout period. Okay? Fools take risks like jumping out of a plane without getting instructions of how to open their parachute. A fool doesn't take any of the precautions. A fool does things without consulting anybody. A fool just jumps head first and that's a risk. And, but the wise person, it's okay to calculate your risk. Did you know that? 
There's no shame in being informed before you take a risk, right? In a lot of ways, life is about risk management. It's not about minimizing the risks that you take, but it's managing the risks you do take, okay? Spiritually, we do this too, okay? Before you take a step in with God, so many people I know, they took a risk and they said, I want that better life, so I'm going to lay down my crappy life, and I hope I get a better one back. But they didn't know what Jesus did for them. So they're like fools that jumped in. They didn't even hear the gospel. They heard that there's a promise on the other side of it, and they wanted that for themselves. So being uninformed, they make the decision to follow Christ, not realizing it'll cost them their life, and halfway through they're like, you know what, this isn't what I signed up for. It's really not worth it. I'm going to take my life back. Thank you, and you could keep Jesus. Because following Jesus is the biggest risk you are going to make your entire life because it will cost you everything that you currently value. Everything. Okay? It's wise to seek counsel. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 17. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So biblically speaking, an unwise or foolish man or stupid is not called so because of any intellectual limits, but because of unbelief. Everybody say unbelief. unbelief. Okay? So when the Bible talks about the unwise or the foolish, it's because of their unbelief. And the consequences that are associated with living in unbelief. So believers are to avoid living like fools. If you claim to be a believer, don't do dumb. If you claim to be a believer, don't accept being stupid like the cattle. Okay? Believers are to avoid living like fools. How do we do this? How do we avoid living like a fool? Where do we go for that information that we need, that counsel that we should seek? Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 again. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. When you went to school and you had to learn how to do a science experiment, I'm sure that they gave you some sort of textbook to follow, right? You wouldn't start doing the science experiment in the lab unless you knew what you were going to be doing in that lab, right? Imagine if you don't know what you're doing. And you said, I'm going to do a science experiment today. Oh, here's the textbook. I don't need the textbook, thank you. I think I'll do this on my own. And you start mixing things together in the chemistry lab, and boom, everything explodes in your face. You know why? You were foolish. You went ahead without proper instruction, without proper guidance, without knowing what you were doing, okay? Foolish. I was the sort of kid that was like, I need to know every single step before I do it. And I look at the step three, four times before I actually take the step. I was afraid, sure, but I wasn't foolish, right? Do things the right way. Spend time in God's word. Spend time learning what God wants for you, what God has instructed for you. And friends, 
that's the best counsel you're going to receive in your entire life. You could go to a psychiatrist. You could go to a self-help section in the bookstore. You could go talk to your friends that you think have it all together, right? But if you're not going to God, what, what are you really risking, friends, when you go and put your faith in these other things and not put your faith in God's word, not put your faith in God's guidance for your life? Yeah. How should believers seek God's counsel? Well, what good is praying to God when we have no real desire to know his word? Again, how many, how many of us pray? Maybe we only pray, we might not pray regularly, but we might pray when we want something from God, right? Because we don't know what else to do, we pray. But what good is prayer if we have no real desire to know God's word or to hear his voice or care about what God has to say, okay? What good is it? All scripture is God-breathed, and it is good for equipping us with the wisdom that is imparted to us by his spirit. Once again, you spend time in God's word, read past the words, through the words to the person of God, and allow his spirit to bring that truth alive in your life, bring wisdom and understanding and discernment as to what you're reading in that passage. If you're seeking God with all your heart and you seek him through his word, friends, I promise you the same promise God gives you, you can know him. And he will make himself known because this is what God wants. He wants us to know him. He's not trying to make it hard. You might think, I've been trying to get to know God. I've been reading the Bible and I still don't know him, right? Why is that? Do you have a desire to hear his voice? Do you value what he has to say? If you don't value and there's no desire, it looks like unbelief, doesn't it? And the unbelief is foolishness. It's stupidity, okay? Don't do dumb. Let's look at Proverbs 19, 20 to 21. Listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. Many are the plans of a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. <laughs> so I've told this story a few times before. When I was young, it feels a long time ago, but when I was young, I was a mischievous one. There are four of us in the house, me and my siblings. There are four of us in the house, but I was the, I was the fast one. I was all over the place, and I would get in the cupboards and mess up the house and give my parents a heart attack and have my brother and my sisters yelling at me because, Tim, stop. My name wasn't Tim. It was Tim. <laughs> and they created a new word. It's not stop. Stop. Timma, stopa. And whenever I do things that were wrong or I misbehaved and I broke the rules, you know, um, I, I could be sure that there was discipline coming. And I think there's one thing why is that my parents did. Maybe they didn't know this is what they were doing, but this is what they were doing. 
accepting discipline. They wouldn't just take me across their knee and smack me with their hand. They would tell me, my dad would tell me, Tim, go get the belt. What? I have to get the belt. I have to get the thing you're going to hit me with? Little did I realize, that's a biblical lesson right there. If I came back with the belt, I knew that I was accepting the, the discipline that was coming my way. They had a lesson they wanted to teach me, but instead of forcing the lesson on me, they included me in that lesson. It's like they had a lesson plan. And they said, this is how we're going to handle it. If we have to spank them, well, we don't want them to hate us, so make them get the belt. <laughs> and if they give it to you, then we have permission to discipline them. Okay. <laughs> but more importantly, um, another thing that my father did See, I keep saying my father because my mom was blocking the door. <laughs> and my dad was the stronger one holding me across his lap. And um, he, would, he wouldn't just say bad boy or anything like that. He wouldn't just whip me. He'd, he'd tell me, Tim, I really don't want to hit you. I don't want to spank you. Then don't. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Don't spank me. And you know, when you're a kid and your legs are dangling, you're like, please, please. You laugh because you've all been there. <laughs> um, but when he had me across his lap and I couldn't do anything else, imagine it's the best time to listen when your eyes are closed. You hear everything. Because you're holding and you're bracing. When's it coming? When's it coming? And you listen. And then my dad would whisper words, Tim, I don't want to hit you. Okay but I'm doing this because I love you. He said, you might not understand this now, but you will one day. And he said, you need to learn your lesson. That's why I have to do this, because I love you. Made no sense to me then. But I listened to that. And I get it now. You might not get it now when the Lord is disciplining you. You might not get it now because the way that life is happening, it seems unfair, you know, but friends, it is wise to accept the discipline that God is giving us and listen to his advice, listen to how he's guiding you. Okay, close your eyes when you pray to him and shut out all the distraction so you could hear his voice. And the more you hear his voice, when you read his word, you can know him and know him more and you start to live in his way. I tell my kids the same thing. You might not understand now, but you will one day. I'm doing this because I love you. <laughs> you don't love me. I do, I do. <laughs> you know. And I tell them, listen, I just want you to learn your lesson. If you're learning your lesson, we don't have to keep doing this. Okay? Sometimes we're like that with God. Why why do I have to deal with this? Why do I feel like I'm always being corrected? Why is God's word piercing my heart and convicting me? You know, well, if we continue to live in the same sins over and over, we're not learning our lessons. And because God loves us, the Bible tells us that God disciplines those he loves. Okay? If he didn't love us, he won't bother disciplining us. He won't bother correcting us. And how does he do that? You don't need the belt 
But friends, when you pick up the Bible, you are accepting the discipline because all Scripture is God-breathed. It's good for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. That's the discipline. So don't wait for life to get really bad for you. That's not the way that God disciplines all the time. He disciplines you by allowing you to be confronted with his truth. Because when you see the right thing to do, you know that you're falling short of that glorious standard that he set out for your life. Okay? Many are the plans of a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Human responsibility is always subject to God's absolute sovereignty. Okay, so we learn our lessons, but we don't learn them in our own wisdom. We submit our ways to the Lord, and he is the absolute authority in our life, so we learn our lessons from him. Our human responsibility always comes underneath God's leading and his guidance. Okay? If we listen to God's counsel and learn our lessons, then we can live with wisdom. I want that. Okay? Psalm 1, verse 1 to 6. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with, with wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whether they, whether they do pro- whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The wicked, the unbelieving, the foolish, the stupid. Don't do dumb. So when we are rooted in God's word, we are like a tree that's planted by streams of life-giving water. Okay? Remember, God's word is, it's God-breathed, right? And God breathes the breath of life. So when we feed on his word, when we are rooted in God's word, then we allow his spirit to bring life to us, friends. And this is the way that we can live. And you get all the good nourishment that you need to be able to follow God. To live rooted in God's word will provide us a personal, life-giving relationship with him. It means we turn our ear to him We seek him first in all things, and we remain faithful to each other. That sounds like a good relationship, doesn't it? You listen to your partner, right? You listen to the other person in the relationship. You you stay faithful to one another, right? And you seek each other in all things, seeking God first in all things. Now, I said earlier that following Jesus is one of the biggest risks you're, gonna, you're ever going to make, right? Because following him requires us to be all in. When I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, I 
decided to be baptized to acknowledge and show everybody around me that I was all in for Jesus. And I did this through my water baptism. It's a physical representation and an, a picture of what it looks like to be all in with Jesus. Because, see, when I go in that water, I'm this unbelieving sinner that came to believe. And I step into that water and realize I'm standing in a watery grave. And when I got baptized in the name of Jesus, all of a sudden I go down into this watery grave, the old man, Tim, and up comes this new creation, leaving the old man in the grave. I left my old life behind, and I rise up to new life, a new creation. There's nothing holding me back anymore because when I come up to this new life, it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. So when I rise again, I find my identity in Christ. It's a physical picture of what it ought to look like. Now, I know many of us here have had baptism. Many of us here have made that decision to follow Jesus but were we well informed of what it would cost us? Did we leave our old self in that watery grave? And are we living all in for Jesus today? Let's explore this a little bit. There's a wonderful story that's found in the book of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 28 to 31. And this is a story about when Jesus' disciples were out on a boat and Jesus was off on the mountainside praying by himself and it got a little bit late so they, they went out into the water and Jesus met up with them like in the nighttime and Jesus was walking on water toward the boat and the disciples were looking and they said, oh, is that a ghost? Because really, who walks on water, right? Is that a ghost? And Jesus came closer. It's, it's me. Don't worry, guys. I'm just coming aboard, okay? And this is part of the story, how one of the uh, disciples called out to Jesus while he was still on the water. Matthew 14, 28 to 31. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Let's stop right here. Look at Peter's first thing that he did. What did he call out to Jesus? Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Command me to come to you on the water. See, Peter didn't just say, oh, there's Jesus. Let's go meet him on the water. And he jumps out of the boat. See, he wasn't foolish like that. There was wisdom in what Peter did here. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. On the water. And he waited for Jesus' instruction first. Come. But then how did he re respond as soon as Jesus said come? He did three things. One, he got out of the boat. He didn't stay where he was. He got up. The next thing he does, he walked on the water. Seems like an impossible thing to do. Right? Because we all know if you try to go walk on the water today, I want to see how many, who wants to take the risk and walk on the water? I know it's kind of frozen over right now. All right, are you willing to risk it, you know, walking on the water? So he gets out of the boat, leaving where he was. 
He walks on the water, taking a risk, walking on the water. And where's he headed? He came toward Jesus. Okay? When God calls you, how do you respond? Do you get up from where you are, leaving behind the safety of everything else that you trust? I'm sure those guys on the water were trusting in their boat to keep them afloat. But he left what he trusted, and he got on top of the water and started to walk where? Toward Jesus. Because when we set our eyes on Jesus, with God, all things are possible. All right. Let's see what happens to Peter next. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, crying out loud, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Look at that first line right there. Peter, he's walking on water. He's headed toward Jesus. He's like, this is awesome. I'm walking with Jesus on the water. Nobody else had that opportunity, but he did. Look at that next line. But when he saw the wind. How many of you see the wind? No, you don't see the wind. It can affect things around you. But when he saw the wind, he became distracted. His eyes were no longer on Jesus. Are there winds in your life today? that are causing storms around you to get you distracted from keeping your eyes on Jesus. When he saw the wind, he was afraid, fear, not trust. When we trust, there's no fear. But he was afraid, and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. He didn't say, help me get up, man. I'm starting to go down. Lord, save me. There's nothing I could do right now. I'm drowning. Lord, save me. I need you to save me, Lord. See, this is an all-in sort of thing. It's interesting that it happened on the water. Interesting that he goes down and he's calling out, Lord, save me. And he was afraid. But when we call out to God, friends, you could be assured that he hears you. He hears your cry. Look what Jesus did. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. But he says to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? There was another time that we hear Jesus say this. Remember, his disciples were out on the boat again on the water, and the storms were coming, and Jesus was having a little snooze on the boat. He was taking a little nap. He was probably tired talking to all the people, doing all the miracles, dealing with all these guys, you know, and he's taking a nap. And the waves start to toss, and they're getting scared. Lord, wake up! Wake up! There's a storm. How could he be sleeping? And Jesus gets up, and peace, be still. Everything goes down. Lord has command over everything, right? And then he goes, you men of little faith, why did you worry? Says to Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? 
How many of us could identify with being a person of little faith? In moments when the winds start coming your way and you start to get afraid and you start to second-guess God's promises and you forget your eyes are taken off of Jesus and all you're seeing is the, the invisible wind around you. There are invisible forces, friends, that are trying their best to distract you from seeing and knowing God. Invisible forces, forces of darkness that don't want you to see God's light. Forces of deception and lies, deceit, that don't want you to to focus on truth. Do not give in to the fear. For God's perfect love casts out all fear. And God is love. Keep your eyes focused on him. Hold on to his promises. Don't give in. When the storms start rising, remember, you could walk on water with God. Can you trust him? Do you believe that? Or is your faith feeling a little little today? You have something? That's beautiful. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Lean not on your own understanding in some of your ways. In some of your ways. In all your ways. In all your ways, submit to him, and he makes your path straight. Faith in God is equal to trusting in the Lord. Okay? Faith in God is equal to trusting in the Lord with all your heart. And trusting in the Lord is equal to believing. Believing. The wise believe, the foolish have their unbelief. We have faith in God when we trust him with all our heart. When we trust him with all our heart, it means we believe that he is able. It means we believe he is God. It means we believe that he can and I can't. It means that we believe that he is more than enough for me. There's a song on the sidebar, a beautiful song that we learned as children. And it goes, trusting is believing that God will keep his word. 
and trusting is believing your every prayer is heard and trusting is letting God know that you're depending on him it's feeling his forgiveness within trusting is believing that God could care for you and trusting is believing just as a child would do it's like giving your hand to Jesus and knowing he won't let go I'll trust him because he loves me so. It's a beautiful song. Hang on to this handout. Hang on to those words. And any time where you're starting to feel like a person of little faith, remind yourself what it means to have faith in God. It means to trust in him with all your heart. And when you trust him, it means that you are a believer, believing in him for all things to keep his promises. Are you a person that needs like all the evidence in the world before you decide to believe something? Like you need to physically touch it or see it or read it somewhere? You know, my wife, um, she's going to hate me for this. My wife, I would always tell her something and she won't believe me until she reads it for herself somewhere. You know, it's like, are you sure about that, Tim? Because she hasn't read it yet, right? So I said, yeah, no, I read it in this book. Oh, where is it? Show me so that I, I could read it too. You know, and it's like how to help yourself at home feel better when you're sick or something. I said, oh, I heard about this remedy. She goes, I'm not too sure about that. But then if I show her a book and I say, hey, look at this remedy. You think we should check it out? And she reads it. Yeah, that looks pretty good. And I said, that's the same remedy I told you about like 10 times already. And she goes, well, you should have just shown it to me. <laughs> you know, that's the way I, I learn. You know, sometimes we, we won't trust something until we see it for ourselves. And I used to think, does my wife not accept what I say because she doesn't trust me? Maybe a little bit. <laughs> okay. But she's learned to trust um, reading and seeing things for herself and using her own critical thinking, okay? Um, we all operate differently, okay? But what is it about God and his word that you are able to trust, okay? We don't understand everything. We don't always know what God is up to. So how could we have faith in God? And what is faith? We're going to read here, I'll read from Hebrews 11, and just a few verses here. It says, what is faith? It is a confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It means it hasn't happened yet, right? It is the evidence of things we cannot yet see. God gave his approval to people in days of old because of their faith. It was by faith that Noah built an ark to save his family from the flood. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. Abraham believed that God would keep his promise. Believing that God would keep his promises. Having faith, it motivates us to live in a way that might look foolish to the world. Right? 
Noah starts building this boat for decades and decades, you know, and everyone's looking at him like he's crazy. But he had faith, knowing what he heard from God, and it motivated him to live out and carry out his end of things, trusting that God would save him and his family from that flood. Now, God promised us that if we believe in Jesus Christ, believe in him, trust in him, have faith in him, then we can have eternal life with him. That's a promise. And everything in this world will be destroyed, just like it was destroyed by a flood back in Noah's day. Are you willing to risk your reputation and follow Christ? Because the world might think that you're a fool following Christ. But if you believe in God's promise that he's coming again to take you and be with him for all eternity, and you hang on to that promise, then you have hope for something that has yet to come. You haven't seen it yet, but you believe it. Okay? This is faith. It's trust. Are you hanging on to that promise? God also promises us, if you seek him with all your heart, you'll find him. All right? So be the foolish-looking person to the world because you're wise in God's eyes when you follow his way. Who cares about what your neighbors think of you when you're following God? What matters to me is what will God say about the way I've been living, right? Was I a man of little faith? Or was I all in for Jesus and put my complete trust in him so I could live my days unafraid, with confidence, I can say, my God is with me, my God is for me, and I'm living with him for all eternity. Nothing anybody could say will take that away from me. All right? Let's look at John, chapter 20, verse 29. Then Jesus told him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is Thomas, one of the 12 disciples. This is after Jesus was raised from the dead. Thomas doubted, right? He was one of the disciples that doubted and he wanted, he waited to see, is this really the Lord? And he needed to see him with his own eyes. And he needed to feel the wounds in his hands and his feet. And it's like, yes, this is indeed you. And Jesus said, well, Thomas, good. You believe because you've, you've seen me. But then Jesus gives a special blessing. Happy are those who have not seen yet have believed. See, we don't have the same opportunity as Thomas today. Right? We go on faith believing that what happened with Jesus happened and his promises are true and he is coming back for us. You know, So blessed are you who believe today. That's a blessing spoken on your life by Jesus. And you could find joy in knowing him. Okay? Let's look at what it says in 1 Peter. Remember Peter? Okay, this is his book. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 to 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, 
You believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The salvation of your souls. Like Peter, we could cry out at any moment, Lord, save me, because there's nothing I can do to help myself anymore. I need to be all in for God, right? You know, the, if you've gone swimming at the beach and, and uh, you don't know how to swim very well, there's lifeguards on duty. And if you're out there and the lifeguard sees you struggling in the water and they dive in and they rush to you and you're still flailing about, you could become a threat to the lifeguard and knock the lifeguard out. So you know what the lifeguard has to do? If you're flailing because you're resisting his help, he will knock you out mm -hmm. so he could pull you to safety. See, that's what life is like for a lot of us. We're still flailing, thinking, I could still do something. I could still do something. And God's just like, boom. <laughs> but you're so stubborn, you're like, no, I could still do it. And it's like, boom. <laughs> and God allows circumstance after circumstance to get you down to a place where you feel like, okay, I, I give up. There's nothing I can do. Then we say, save me. And immediately, God comes to your rescue. Immediately, God hears your cry and he comes to your rescue and he pulls you to safety. But you got to be all in, realizing there is nothing left of you and you're trusting completely in him to save you. Okay. Jesus pronounced special blessing on those who believe without having Thomas' privilege for seeing him for himself. It talks about an inexpressible and glorious joy that comes when you believe even though you have not seen. Right? Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen God? Last night, my wife came to the room and said that she was having a conversation with our eldest son. Again, he's very deep. And he was talking about fear. And then he asked if God is real. And he wants to believe, but he's like, but I haven't seen him. Is he really real? And it was a very innocent question. And my wife, of course, she had her answers, you know. Um, it was just before bedtime. But the fact that he's asking these questions already, is God real? I haven't seen him, you know. And um, my wife reassured him and let him know, well, you know, mommy and daddy believe he's real, right? Hopefully, you know, he might not understand today, but I trust one day he will, right? That's what it's like for a lot of people in our life. They question, they're not sure if God's real. They don't know if they could trust in his promises. They're not all in for him. They, instead, they, they try and test and see, okay, if I give a little bit, am I gonna get anything back? Remember, the risk that we take with God, it's not just a little bit. It's an all-in sort of thing. But friends, <laughs> when you throw your life into the hands of Jesus, and you lay your life down at the foot of the cross, oh, it is so worth it, guys. I'm telling you, on this side of things, on this side of the cross, it is so worth it. 
There are promises that, you know, God is faithful to his promises. I have seen it in my own life. I know that he's going to do amazing things in your life, proving to you and showing you that he is walking with you every step of the way. You just keep your eyes focused on him. Forget about all the threats coming your way. Be all in for Jesus and trust that he is able and he is mighty. You will find joy. You will find peace. You will find healing. You will find protection. You will find everything that you need for life and living. It's in God. It's worth the risk, friends. I would like to invite any of you, if you still have your reservations or you're not sure what this journey with God is supposed to look like, come talk with us. We want to grow with you. We want to be on this journey with you. We want to help you, you know, make that, take that risk of following Jesus completely. And you receive the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Hebrews 13, verse 5 to 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? You want to live with confidence? Do you want more confidence in your life? Because remember, if all you do is try and build up self-confidence, then that's trusting in yourself. And what we read earlier, that is foolishness, okay? Don't try and boost your self-confidence. You could live with something so much better. I call it God confidence. If you're living with God confidence, it shows on the outside. And people are like, what does he have that I don't have? I have God. I got what? Godfidence. Godfidence? <laughs> There's a nice term, Godfidence. <laughs> right? I can be confident in God because it's he that is alive in me, no longer I that live. I am all in for God, and friends, it is worth the risk. I pray that God give you more wisdom to know who he is. I pray that he gives you the courage and the strength that it takes to follow him every moment of every day. It doesn't mean you're not going to fall sometimes, but when you start falling, remember God is ready to save you time and time again. He lifts you up, you just call out to him. I find so much hope in this promise that God gave us in this verse. There is absolutely no way whatsoever that I will ever, ever leave you. Isn't that a beautiful promise from God? There is absolutely no way whatsoever that I will ever, ever leave you. If there's one thing that you walk away with today from this study, I pray that it is this promise from God. Because when he is with you, friends, you can take every opportunity to know him more. Because that's what this life is all about. Let's all stand. Let's bow our heads.
Father God, we want to thank you for your presence in this place. We want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for your message. We want to thank you for your faithfulness, Lord God, to us. And your promises that if we seek you with all our heart, that we can know you and we can find you. For all those times that we thought that we could still bring something to the table and do something to save ourselves, forgive us, Lord God, for trusting in our own ability and denying you. Help our unbelief, Lord God. Help us to know you and know your wisdom that only comes from you so that we can boldly live our life to honor and glorify you and you alone. We pray for your peace to be made known to us. We pray for your presence in every moment, every day. We pray for this joy that we can find in you, Lord God. We love you. We need you. We honor you.